0: Hey, I don't know about you, but I think my hair is on fire. I mean, 24-7 coverage with breaking news breaking into breaking news like a pileup on the New Jersey Turnpike. Don't get me wrong. I am interested in politics like you are. Shoot, I've spent my entire life in it. But I think it's time for just a little break. Just a brief, interesting intermission. Like the seventh-inning stretch at the ballpark before you go back to the rest of the game. I'm Michael Sheehan. And that's why I created Politics as Unusual. It's where we'll talk about unconventional topics with very unexpected guests. Where we'll look at politics and policy through Alice's Looking Glass. And there couldn't be any better way to launch this series than with England's Eddie Izzard. And I just want to thank my sponsor, FedEx, codename Affordable Fair. I hope you'll support them the way they've been supporting me. If we're looking for unique and funny perspectives, we have to start with Eddie Izzard. By the way, he's going to clear up the debate over the proper pronunciation of his name in our episode today. Year after year, he's constantly voted one of England's top stand-up comedy artists. And he's not satisfied with that. He actually performs in France, Germany, Spain, and a few other countries in their native language. Popular? Popular? Can you name any stand-up artist who sold out both Madison Square Garden and Wembley Stadium? You've probably heard or seen his popular CDs, and he's had several specials on HBO. Now, look, I can't say in his spare time, because I don't think he has any spare time, but he's been on American TV and a range of shows from The Good Wife to Hannibal to The Simpsons. As an actor, he's starred on both the West End and on Broadway alike, and he's up there on the big screen. His most recent film appearance was in Victoria and Abdul, where he portrayed King Edward VII, son of Queen Victoria, who was played by Judi Dench. So, I think you can see why we call it politics as unusual. So fasten your seatbelts, we're off to London, England. Here's Eddie. And I am here in London, England, and I am just delighted to be joined by Eddie Izard. By the way, you do make the point that sometimes the Americans pronounce your name a different way? Yes, I'm not that bothered. Uh, but, well, there was a thing that started in Britain where
1: people thought I'd made my name up, and they were saying it is Izzard, and they do second syllable. I think generally in America, something happened on the Mayflower, and you guys <laughs> said, let's do the anti-emphasis. You know, let's do it on the second syllable, because you... It's not a, a complete rule, but there's sort of generally you hit the second. You say we say anti and you say anti. Mm. There's a difference on the i, but there's a second syllable thing. Anyway, so it's Izard, and but it's probably Izard. It's probably French. Could be Huguenot. Don't know. So anyway, pronunciations and names have changed all down the years. Right, and um, it's not really that bothered. But um, and most Americans actually say Izard. Yeah. Is it? And so I just, you know, I'm, I'm okay with that one. The Izard one, I'm less wild about.
0: Okay. Well, you were very cooperative. We thank you for that. Uh-huh. Now, in the introduction, I mentioned all of your stage credits, all your stand-up, all your audio books, all your books. And later on in the conversation we'll have today, we'll get into your political involvement with everything from Brexit to Scotland and to immigration and to LGBT rights. And you are also extremely... Active here in the Labour Party, and yep. you're running for re election for the NEC? Yep,
1: yeah. I'm, I've been in the NEC now just for a short while, and so we uh, it came in as a sort of um, somebody left the NEC, so I came into the NEC. And now, but I've I'd already have done uh, been in two elections to try and get into the NEC, and I'm now going again. So, yeah, we will we will see, but then also I want to stand to be an MP after 2020. Uh, which there was going to be the sort of May 2020 it was going to happen then so that's what I was talking about but now it's we're back in Britain to the movable feast of an election yes. who knows when it's going to be
0: which you tend to do here now there's one thing that I haven't told you that I wanted to bring up very briefly and it's the first time I saw you I was actually here in London in 1999 working for a corporate client and I went to the theatre and I saw a remounting of the play Lenny Oh, yeah. Now, I saw the original on Broadway oh. with Cliff Gorman, who yeah. won the Tony Award for that performance. Right. Of course, I saw the movie with Justin Hoffman. He was nominated for an Oscar. You brought something to that role that no one else did, and it just expanded that experience for me, which was, and I hope this don't, d- does not sound dumb, you were funny. The other guys were sort of intense or emphatic. You were funny, and that just brought a whole dimension to the play. Well, I think
1: uh, Dustin, who I've worked with, and, and Chris—I don't think that. I think they were both actors, good yeah. actors, and I was a comedian who had loved acting for, for some fun so, since I was a kid. And I wanted, and I've been pushing to do good acting roles. So this one came my way. So Peter Hall just said to me, "You just do what." I'm going to leave the stand-up to you and that was quite tricky because I had to work out how to do Lenny's stand-up and initially his stuff is more broad than mine ever was and, and there was one piece that was quite surreal and I do remember when he was really becoming Lenny Bruce in reality which you follow from his story in the film was when he was in the strip clubs and he was trying to make the band laugh and we had a real jazz band there were real jazz musicians on the stage playing with us which is a nice link and there was points where I was just trying to make them laugh. I was just doing it differently every night. And so I would do the stand-up like a stand-up, like him, and it's probably a little bit like me and a bit like him. Um, but, uh, yeah, that was that was a wonderful thing to do. And it took a hell of a lot out of me. It, I got ill by the end of it. Oh, my. Because uh, I was starting off dead, sort of naked on the toilet at the beginning. Yeah. And, and then you end up dead again, and it's... um yeah it was it was a beautiful thing to do i I come up with this strap line the Jesus Christ of comedy, <laughs> which is interesting because he what he struggled for was to let freedom of speech happen that people could say it's because in america the u there was he was getting hammered for saying bad words, say, but then it was stopping what he was trying to say and what he was trying to open up about how to look at things differently. And so uh, after him, everything opened up in Britain and in America.
0: Yeah. Our topic today is a little bit of a side road. I think it did the same exact content. There is a saying, of course, everyone has read that those who do not learn from history are doomed to repeat it. And more than any other comic or stand-up, whatever noun that I should be using... You have more historical uh, references. Other people use current events, yes, but just a brief overview of some some of the topics I've heard you hit in your stand-up. You did the Ottoman Empire. You did Stalin, Hitler, and Pol Pot. You did the Italian invention of fascism. You did the Falkland Islands, British colonialism napoleon's invasion of russia the founding of the church of england lawrence of arabia the suez canal you pointed out a geographical error that was made in the movie the great escape and when i watched your live performance at madison square garden you even used the battle of hastings to make a couple of lines where does that come from
1: i think well monty python really did it first and i'm probably am Either traveling down the same lines, being influenced by them, they are my comedy gods, or I sort of came to it because I feel like I came to it on my own, but I was influenced by that, and then I found out, oh, I'm doing what they already did, so I didn't quite realize I was being influenced by them. But it is there's a beautiful thing about history. What one it makes you look very intelligent, um, <laughs> and I think I am quite intelligent, but I'm sort of street intelligent as opposed to an, an academic. So um, I sort of do a pop culture version of grabbable intelligence of of and reaching back into the you know the Greeks and the stuff and, and just saying 5000 years of civilization but it also never dates the beautiful thing about topical dates mm. sometimes within a week sometimes within a day you could say hey i've got this really good joke and oh it's, the situation has changed within a few days and then your material is has got to be dumped and i'm a very lazy person it seems like i'm not lazy but i'm actually like an oil tanker lazy. Once I get going, I can keep going. But once I stop, I don't really want to start again. And so I, if you do history, it never moves.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, that's the beautiful thing
0: about it. But all of this is dependent. Does the audience understand it? Do they get it? And then when it comes to the political work you're doing now, do they get this kind of depth? Do they get this kind of historical precedent?
1: Well, I don't think the political people voting for me or the people, the electoral, um, people on the electoral list who can vote for me or members of the Labour Party, they will not all be into comedy and there will be a certain slice of that. So I do use history as an example for politics, because I came up with this theory, history plus the change in society, all multiplied by the change in technology equals the future. And You can almost track what we're going to do, because if you, if you distill down humanity, we keep repeating things over and over again. This idea of a, a populist person, which is it's a bad word. It's actually a simplistic person who says, do one thing, do two things, and everything's going to be fine. You could track that all the way back to maybe Caesar was an early, it was definitely a, a, a populist, I don't know how simplistic. Cause I haven't really studied his political. I think he just seemed to be bribing people, <laughs> and uh, and and doing megalomania. And then he got dictatorial life, which had already come from Sulla. And so people don't talk about Sulla much. But if you track Sulla, Sulla tried to kill Caesar when he was on the wrong side of that political fence and then Caesar comes back and says, well, whatever he's done, I'm going to do the same thing. In the end, sort of let him go. And so that's an interesting thing. Humanity, we keep doing the same things over and over again. And this idea that we should go into 1930s politics now and say, hey, let, let's let's smash everything up. It's going to be so much easier. And that's that's all it is. That's all the the, the, the only plan that the extreme right has got. Smash things up and then we have no plans. Uh, we're going to just hate this group of people, put the rest of the people in jail and then we know what happened in the 30s and let's hope we don't go there, but we're already sort of sleepwalking into that.
0: Oops. Well, my son once had a job over the summer. He worked for Pollster, and one of his duties was he had to transcribe the focus groups and the comments that were being made by voters, and he would come home very, very depressed saying, Dad, are these people allowed to vote? What's your reaction when you make a point and you can sort of see that, yes, it does hit or it goes past them or over them or around them?
1: Well, there's there's the progressives and the regressives in the world. And I think the percentage of progressives and percentage of regressives in the world has not changed. I, I think that percentage has stayed the same. Um, it's just the number of people in the world has got bigger. So the numbers are bigger. Um, it's the middle group. And... I think of of the people in the middle group, and quite understandably when I think about it, they don't really want to spend time on what we call the Westminster bubble. You could call it the, the Washington bubble. They're not going to sift through, watch the 24-hour news. They're just not going to do this. They want to live their lives. They don't feel they have the time or they don't want to spend the time sifting through even the commonsensical arguments, they will vote emotionally. A lot of them will vote emotionally. Sure. And if you're not putting an emotional argument forward, if you're putting very dry but good common sense forward, they could quite often go against that. And we've seen that again through history all the way back to the days. I mean, what Trump seems to be doing now is just smashing everything up and saying, let's just get partisan on everything and then I'll, that'll work and then hopefully I'll keep away the fact that Russia seems to have won the election for me <laughs> and I'm trying to hide from that. I'm trying to run and hide from the special prosecutor. And his line, you know, the interesting, with Trump, he, I, I just think the way to deal with Trump is that everything he says is a lie and then he's got to prove anything is true because he lies so much and he's and apparently according to people who keep leaving his administration, he's so proud of his lies that we've got to say that his new lie, this new lying stasis is is the places where he's come from. Well, and, uh, and then we have to work out what is the,
0: is there any truth in anything he says. Yeah. Let me back up a little bit so we can get the journey to where you started to take it. I wanted to start to talk about JFK as a historian. But before I do, if I could just ask you something, you have a very interesting bit where you talk about President Kennedy's ability for German when he gave the famous yes. Ich Berliner and that it could be donut. misinterpreted or no, Translated.
1: Yeah, he just said, I am a donut. Ich komme aus Berlin. you got to say, "It komme out. I come from Berlin. Ich komme aus Berlin. But ich bin ein Berliner. Ein Berliner is a type of donut. And so he was saying he was a donut. But they knew what he was saying. And it was a nice moment. But he did get it wrong okay. um, doesn't really matter but it, it shows what if you try in another language mm-hmm. that, that really works and Nelson Mandela said he learned Afrikaans so that if you speak to someone in your own language you might talk to their their mind mm-hmm. being able to work out what you're saying in, in their Second language. But if you speak in their language, you speak right. to their heart. And that's mm-hmm. why he learned Afrikaans. And I've learned French and German. We spent many centuries fighting the French, the British. We still have this scratchy relationship. And then the last century, we said, oh, let's flip over and, and, and fight the Germans. And I said that was alphabetical. We were working our way through. <laughs> And the Hungarians were next. But it was just that was a joke thing. But it's, it, we, you know, we do think in Britain that, ah, oh, the Germans, this is his problem. But before that, it was always with the French. And we, the Germans were with us. That was um, in the Battle of Waterloo. Um, it was Blucher, um, who was 75, I think, very late in his 70s, and kind of bonkers. And uh, But he was a good general, and he got pushed back at Quatre Bras, and then he fell back, and then. There's Wellington then saying, "What's he going to do? Is he going to run and hide?" And then they're begging him, "Come and come with my forces, and then we will we will fight him." And then Napoleon's very good at the art of war, and he goes in and he's attacking. Then and then Blucher comes across, and Bruschi can't keep him away. So uh, I study
0: battles
1: yeah. um, to work out it because military military history is very interesting. When you compare it to life and politics yeah. and stuff.
0: Interesting. You should bring that up because one of the true overlaps between history and politics was the Cuban Missile Crisis, which, of course, JFK was right in the middle of. Now, you're a few years younger than I am. Uh, When this happened, I guess you were about one or two. I was 10. I wasn't sure I was going to live to see 11. But there's a very interesting thing if you read the history of it, that JFK was very much paying attention to the causes of World War One, And I just read the Pulitzer Prize winning book, uh, The Guns of August by Barbara Tuckman, who won, as I said, the Pulitzer for it. And her thesis was that it was avoidable, that so much of the things that led up to World War One were because of mistakes, miscommunication. And it was said that Kennedy said, I don't want my Guns of August to be the Missiles of October. He seemed to have learned from history. What do you think?
1: Uh, yes, well, if, if people bother to read it and bother to assimilate it, because I, I think there's a simple thing that some people think, is that history is old people and they thought in old ways. But these brains that we have are the same brains going back all the way through the 5,000 years of civilization into the previous 5,000 years of, say, the Stone Age, new, old, and medium. And, and we had the same brains. Our brains don't change. It takes mil- millions of years for the brains to change. Uh-huh. So we were as sophisticated or as, not as unsophisticated as we are now. We were 100 years ago, 1,000 years ago, 5,000 years ago. So we should look at history because... As I say, we just keep repeating things. You just got to factor in social media is the is the technological technological change and uh, and the social changes like LGBT has now got to a place where we're. Well, I, I, my li- The line that I keep saying is, when we hit boring, when LGBT becomes boring, then we've made it. Because, right. Uh, and it's getting more boring, which is great. You know, just say, I'm gay. Say, okay, well, what do you do? What, what do you mean? Well, what do you do? Do you are you a librarian? Are you a sports player? Are you, are you a chef? Oh, well, I do this. Oh, that's interesting. You know, who cares about the sexuality? It's just, uh, that's just there, and that's just built in, because I think it's genetics, and they'll find all the codes in there. Because we don't choose it. We just grew up and found, we just became more honest,
0: and we were going to fight those battles in since, uh, since Stonewall. Let me put you on the spot and ask you to judge a debate. Okay. And here are the two sides. One side was espoused by a Latin American writer who said, history never really says goodbye. It simply says, I'll see you later. And on the other side, we have a science fiction writer, an award-winning science fiction writer, I would add, who said, historical analysis is the last refuge of people who can't grasp the current situation
1: yeah the last one is is wrong as i said i think everything i've said before shows that there's one about if you start likening anything to hitler that's the last refuge there's this last refuge thing it's kind of a cry from people who are saying please don't go to that example because there's truth in that and this shows us up. Yeah. I'd rather you not use the truths that are there. Human beings would repeat if we have the same brains, and all that's changing is our, you know, we have cars, and we didn't have cars before. We had horse and carts. We have technology we didn't have that before. Uh, society's got a little better. There's more money going around. The distance between rich and poor is less, even though that moves around. Then it's a good use of it. And the idea that it's the last refuge, it's a very right wing way of thinking. And so, uh, which is
0: scared of the truth. Mm -hmm. The right wing is scared of the truth. There was one thing I saw in person in front of me that really sort of scared me. It was the debate prep we were doing in 2008 for Barack Obama. Right. And as we were approaching the first debate, it got stopped, the preparation process. The economy was starting to melt stock markets across the world were going down and senator mccain called an emergency meeting in washington dc wanted to postpone the debates to deal with the issue at hand so then senator obama leaves to go back to washington and all the economists and me and a couple other people are stuck in this room waiting for them to come back and i remember the conversation it kept bouncing back between well this is just like 1929 and then two minutes later, someone said, but you know what? It's nothing like 1929. So I got stuck in the middle on that. Do we look back or don't we look back? We do. It it was something like
1: 1929. All those financial crises have elements of it, but they, they also change and times move yeah. forward. And we, you know transportation is different and the yeah. uh, the links between the countries around the world is different so yes any financial crisis will be have similarities with previous yeah. financial crises so you've got to, but the tricky thing is to f- fill it out and work out which bits of those mm-hmm. are the similarities and which bits you let go i have a bizarre example i'm going to compare with this because i'm uh, i do stand up comedy but i do uh, i'm an actor And there are certain elements of acting in films and being a stand-up comedian which are similar. And there are certain things which are miles apart. Right. To try and find out what those are, you actually have to go through this hell, which I did in my early films, which were not good, of trying to work out... I switched all my comedy muscles off to learn... To just learn how to be a good dramatic actor in front of a camera and being in the moment is a very key similarity i'm on the stage in the moment i will play a giraffe or thing or some character or some weird colonel shouting at someone and i will play that and i will be right in that moment and i will also if i'm playing one character in victorian abdul judy dench i was playing edward the seventh so i'd be right i just bertie all the way through i don't move in that thing but in the moment is exactly the same and then a lot of other things are different but and there's other things which are the same so working out what those are that's the tricky thing when you suddenly get a new financial crisis boom it's there to look back to 29 it would be too quick you'd you'd have to be a a genius to be able to say this is the same as that's different this is going to affect it differently you'd you'd have to be a a supercomputer maybe this artificial intelligence which we're apparently getting parity with in 2050 which is very scary that a computer could work it out and we're going to be sitting there going now which bits are the same and which bits are different that's the trouble some things always move
0: Today's show is brought to you by FedEx. You know, names are kind of interesting things, like the name FedEx. I was thinking about it, and when a company kind of invents or reinvents a service or a product, and they're so good, they deliver so consistently well that people who are really happy with their service or their product sort of use the name of the company for the name of the product or the name of the service. I don't think I ask my wife to please hand me a tissue. I ask her, could you hand me a Kleenex? And I don't cut myself as I usually do and ask my wife, hey, do we have a bandage? I usually yell, do we have any band-aids left? And if I need to find some information, I don't ask, hey, should we search engine this? No, let's Google this. Now I think stuff like this only happens when the product is so good, so consistent, so reliable, that the identity takes over. And I think that's kind of what's happened with FedEx. When I had to send my contract to my producer, I FedExed it. When I demanded it came back to me signed, I had them FedEx it. It's affordable, it's fast, and boy, is it reliable. I rely on it all the time, and most of my friends do as well. You've been involved in three big political issues that I want to get into. But in all the tapes that I saw of you speaking and doing debates, I sort of saw something that you almost enjoyed talking with the voters as much if not more than performing for your audience. There was a joy of communicating there that you can't fake no matter how good an actor you are or how good a politician you are. Uh, Apparently
1: Kennedy was very in interest he would talk to people because he came from this very rich background because yeah. it sounds like an Irish Catholic you think well he's just worked his way out No, his dad and granddad and his dad how he made his money is all very yeah. dubious but Kennedy was someone who was interested in people um George Bush Senior, probably less so George Bush Junior, had a way with him. I'm going to play golf. I'm going to be like some sort of frat boy. I do like people. I think most people are really interesting. I was a street performer for four years. Yes. People would walk up to me on the street and say the weirdest things or the most positive things. I've done the most beautiful things. I've played you know, on the streets of London and, uh, and around Europe. And that's a beautiful thing. But I do find people very intriguing and i'd i like to know you know so what are you doing where do you come from why are you doing this rather than that mm-hmm. okay you know and i i don't think that that comes with me as opposed to i thought i went to to a class and said this right. is how to learn to talk have a chat with people so uh yeah i do find in politics, uh, hopefully that comes out because when I'm campaigning in the streets, it's great just to you're, it's quite pressurized it's very pressurized on the street because you're there you're on the street the cameras turn up, there could be the cameras from and people from who are trying to trip you up and put you in a bad place or, or, or make you make mistakes, and you have to be calm with that and then talk to your yeah. people, who are the, the, the people from the Labour Party who are trying to push and, and encourage them. There's a number of things you're doing all at once. And initially when I started doing it, it, was it was a nightmare. But now I kind of enjoy those now.
0: Well, one of the first big issues you got involved in was the proposed secession of Scotland. Right. And you did your own bus tour. Now I know the official campaign was the Better Together campaign. You did sort of a variation on that, didn't you?
1: I don't feel I was doing a bus tour. I, it was in the. Um, I was more in the the alternative voting campaign, and then uh, in mm-hmm. uh, the European referendum. All I did was that what i thought the scottish national party did very successfully was they said if you're with us you're uh, the scottish national party and for separation then then you are a patriot and if you're not you're actually an anti anti-scottish and they they'd set up that kind of template which made it very hard for people to put their head above the parapet if they were Scottish and say, I'd like to stay in the union uh, because they would say, well, you don't like Scottish people. You're just uh, unpatriotic. And I wanted, there was a particular message that I think it was about 80% of the people who were, who were outside uh, of Scotland when asked, they said that they would like to stay uh, Scotland, to stay with yeah. us. And I wanted to put that message forward. So I just wanted to say, look... You're going to do what you do, but I just want to put it from a perspective as a guy who's English, who also has the name Edward, because there were two very, there was an Edward the first and an Edward the second. Edward the second they beat into the ground, Edward the first who gave them a hard time. But as someone whose first name is Edward, I just wanted to say, I like Scotland, I like Scottish people. I have played all over Scotland, up to and including Shetland and Orkney, which which people don't normally do in Stornoway, in the Outer Hebrides, and uh, and I just wanted to say, there's also this point of view. Uh, in the end, you will decide, but everyone's rather scared about putting this point of view forward. They won't come up from England or Wales or Northern Ireland. And I'm going to say that because I think other people, sh- people should hear that, both sides, because mm-hmm. it was making it almost impossible for the other side to put forward a, a point of view.
0: But your argumentation that it would be best for Scotland to stay in the UK was almost a precursor for the huge debate you got involved in. That was, of course, Brexit. And you did something extraordinary. You engage in a formal debate with Daniel Hannan, who is a writer, a journalist, and a conservative member of the European Parliament. And I watched that debate. Not only did you hold your own, you were pretty good. <laughs> what was that like? How did that come about? Well, you know, that was, I was out there. I was campaigning stand-up for Europe.
1: I was uh, doing my own campaign. I just thought, get out there. There's the elite right-wing media with gallons of money all these these four people usually non-domiciles making paying their taxes elsewhere but they're telling british people how to do it in the right-wing newspapers and i thought well i'll go out and i'll push for this thing Th- these A lot of common sense arguments that were getting lost in the wash. You know, the whole idea that the European Union was set up for, was to stop world wars. And David Cameron put that forward and was, was shouted out for that. But that is why it was set up. Yeah. And I know that. That's just why I'm going to D Day uh, uh, commemorations on the 6th of June to do my three shows in three languages in three hours. Uh, as a, a charity gigs but I do them in German, French and English the three languages that were fought yes. in the Battle of Normandy and so I look at history and I say this is why we set it up so yes, Europe ha- has a problem but let's fix it rather than run and hide from it I just didn't believe that Brits don't quit I, I believe that Brits don't quit and that running and hiding and sticking our heads in the ground that's not going to make it work better the single market, the idea that people really wanted good jobs and the idea that you could pull out of that market and then we go into tariffs and then a huge tariff war starting because Brexit and Trump hate are the same thing Things it's the same kind of separation, and so I I went out and I, I thought I'd put that uh, forward, and so the debates that came up I hadn't done any debates like yeah. choosing to go into politics is a tricky thing, especially if you're coming from comedy. Comedy is a good. Tool to attack things you don't like, but it's not a good building tool. It is a it is a bad building tool, in fact. So the idea that comedians are all going to rush into politics is not going to happen because comedians are better at saying that I don't like that and that I don't like that because here's a silly reason. And th- this is silly and it looks like this. But if you say, "Well, what's your positive ideas on the future?" It, it, comedy is not good for that. But I, I like people. I like business. I like the. I set up a union when I was a street performer, the Street Performers yeah. Association, um, because. Uh, we were getting forced off to Covent Garden. So the essence of unions, the essence of business, uh, unions are therefore when business goes crazy. Business, uh, good practices for people, work work environments. And then there's business there, wealth creation. I love that. Uh, um, uh, The ideas that you can have, come and build this. I built my comedy in Britain and I'm taking it around the world, 45 countries, four languages. So I think that's, I love all that. I think that's really positive for humanity. And so these are the ideas I, I sort of put forward. And debates, they can be tricky. I've only, you know, when you saw that one that I, I did there, that was the, like the first or the second one I'd ever done. So once you've done 20 years of it, you or you know, five years of it, you get the hang of it.
0: Well, it sounds like that also set the stage for the rather incredible debate you had in a panel context, televised, webcast, what have you, on immigration, where you shared the stage with Nigel Farage. Mm-hmm. Now, if I could just interject for our state's audience, Nigel Farage, I first met, not met, but learned of him in 2015 when I was preparing Ed Miliband for his debates. And the best way I can introduce him or describe him to American audience is it's equal parts Newt Gingrich, Steve Bannon, with just a little dash of Ted Cruz thrown in there. Are you familiar with Ted Cruz, the senator? Yes. I think Al Franken had the best description of him. He said, I really like... Ted Cruz more than anyone else in the Senate does and I hate him (laughs) well it's you know
1: again right-wing politics all of it it's um Nigel Farage, the day after the referendum, he said he said it was fifty two forty eight. then the fight carries on. So, okay, using those rules, we've got to carry on. And he also said that the 350 million pounds a week that's oh, going to go to the NHS was a lie that morning after it. And then he resigned, and which implies uh, th- what we do. We smash this up and then r- run and hide. I have no plans. There are no plans for a
0: future. No one has any plans. But if I could just back you up for a second, describe for my colleagues in the States, what the debate was, what happened on that stage, because you two had a back and forth on one specific oh, yeah. Wait, item.
1: It's European referendum. And, you know, his name is Farage. So he's got French and German heritage. So he's an immigrant from an immigrant family. He's married to a German woman who's an immigrant and he hates immigrants. And it's that is a curious thing. When you are so steeped in immigration, you've come through, you've, you've got to a good place and you say, yeah, I did good because I'm an, from an immigrant family and I'm going to block everyone else. I'm in charge of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's okay for me, but for no one else. And it's kind. It's, uh, I think the word hypocrisy there, I think yes. Michael Farage has got to be sitting there in the dictionary with a big photo there. because. And I said this to him, and he could not answer. He did this face of, well, I'm just going to sit there. And I went back to it, and then people from the audience on his side were obviously very scared about it. And they said, no, be quiet, be quiet. You can't ask that question. And that is the question for our times, why people who are from a certain background uh, hate themselves and their own lives, yeah. and they want to put that forward. And then he goes and resigns. He hangs out with Trump in a golden lift, <laughs> and they're both so Trump and Farage very similar people, And then, uh, and then he resigns, the whole party falls apart. And he has no plans for what to do after this. Just smash things up and then run and hide. Europe is our continent. It's, it's our continent. And we're now the new generations growing up in Britain. If this goes all, all through, they will not be allowed to go and work there. go On holiday, they have to buy a visa to go there. All this negative stuff coming out of it. And it was like a 2008 financial crisis. That was blamed on Europe. That's what the elite yeah.
0: right-wing media did. What you were brilliant at in that debate, and I can almost use it as an example for the future debate coaching I do, is you really made it about one specific thing, and you just drilled on him, drilled on him, and drilled on him, and that became the focus of all the discussion the next few days and all the press coverage the next few days. I
1: know the right-wing media, though the elite right-wing, they with all their money, they, they were hating what I was doing and they've tried to spin it out. But that's going to sit there forever. It is a yeah. question. Why, if you're from an immigrant family, you hate immigrants so much? What is going on in your mind? And you have no plans other than... Sm- he said bully the people. Bully the people to vote for us. So this is a bullying right-wing thing. This is the right-wing... Just yeah. Going back again, uh, £350 million a week will go into the NHS. Oh, no, let's let's hide everything that we said that, and let's never talk about it again. It sort of swirls around. It, that was what they promised people. A lot of people voted for that. And it's and I think a third referendum is inevitable. They're talking yeah. about a second referendum. That was the second. The first one, we won 66 to 34. And so the whining right went on mm. for 40 years. They whined on, they whined on, whining right. And then they got it down to 52, 48. That is not a mandate for a hard and vicious Brexit. And this vicious Brexit, which is really going to damage working people's lives and the, their ability to get jobs, is just a,
0: a hard and vicious thing to do to, to Britain. I can't let a discussion about politics and history history go without at least bringing in a little bit of winston churchill yeah there's a quote that's been attributed to so many people that a basic mistake made is that every general fights the last war now that's about war and the military but does every politician fight the last campaign or the last issue not realizing the difference of what's ahead
1: I don't think that's necessarily uh, uh, such uh, a useful analogy because I think in politics it, it keeps ticking over mm-hmm. week by week, month by month. There will be big general elections of four or five years apart, okay, but and things will move. But definitely, I agree with that in military history. Yeah. My example is what Ulysses S. Grant was dealing with with Robert E. Lee and uh, around Richmond and Petersburg. Those fortifications that they built there they could it took them a long time to get in there. It was months, and that was World War one that right. was World War I right there in in Richmond in Virginia, and they were doing World war one tactics what What uh, Sherman did down south was a different thing that was uh, but that was in, intriguing how they got to that. The vicksburg campaign was uh, was also well that shows why Grant was one of the best generals. Lee was flashier. Mm -hmm. Uh, But Grant was just
0: doggedly determined, and you couldn't stop Grant. Well, since we started to talk about the United States, one more quote from Churchill that has always intrigued me is that Americans will always do the right thing after they've exhausted all the alternatives. And you said that about Americans? Because I think that could be about humanity. That could be about humanity. Like,
1: we, we decided to stop Hitler when it got too late, and he was already attacking everyone. Interesting, without Pearl Harbor, you wouldn't have come in in World War Two, yeah. you know? Um, Lindbergh and the very pro, pro-Nazi pro regime people. That was, it was it was a big vote, wasn't it? It was 70%, 75% yeah. were saying, we are not getting involved in this. Oh, there's Pearl Harbor. Yeah, we're getting involved in it. And then it's gonna be Europe first. That's an amazing thing. I think that must have come from, I think that came from Roosevelt. Yeah. Um, because there's no reason why it should have been, you know, American troops are gonna go and help out in Europe straight away, as
0: opposed to Japan. Uh-huh. And, of course, right now, if we rocket this forward, it's been said news is the first rough draft of history. And that may have been true, but now we have fake news. And I know you have very strong feelings about this. Well,
1: yeah, this is the, this is the thing that Donald Trump, you may as well just say, everything he says is a lie. But, you see, Hitler said if you lie big enough, people will believe you. And so Trump said, well, I'd like to have a go at that. And people are leaving his administration saying that he's that Trump is proud of his lies. So yeah we we have to work out how to deal with it but just take the base level that anything it's the new lies that he's doing it's Mm -hmm. not the fake news it's the new lies and we need to be able to establish what is fact and what is fiction in this world otherwise as humanity goes we are lost but that's interesting they did it back in the 30s and hitler did this and he said 0.5 percent of our population is bringing us down the jewish people and that was just a lie and he says then the jewish people they're all about money and they're all you know image that they, mm-hmm. they bolted onto the Jewish people. Um, um, and then he says they're working with the Bolsheviks who are not into money. So it was a completely insane thing. And yeah. he just got one thing, two things he didn't like and, and slammed them together and he just said it over and over again until people... People who, again, were not willing to spend the time sifting through the logical arguments in Germany said, OK, I'm fine with that. I'm going to just lap that up and go with it. And they did that. Um, and But I think what happened in Germany was not a German problem. This is what I keep saying. It's a human problem because you can see it around the world. We're now going back into 1930s politics. Maybe it always swings around. Well,
0: one of the people who can sort of call truth can be, as you started to talk about before, uh, comics. And I go back to the days of Shakespeare. The one person who was allowed to call out the king and speak truth to the king was the fool, as in King Lear. So is that the job of comedians today, using a little bit of history to speak truth to power, to call them on things? I
1: think that's always been within the purview of of a comedian. But now journalists can do it. Anyone can actually do it. In the old days, you couldn't get access. You never saw the king. You couldn't get any ideas to float out there. The uh, if The Fool, in the time of Lear and The Fool or whatever time that was roughly supposed to be in history if uh, there was uh, social media going on then it would have been a different gig <laughs> going on so um, it was just, I think the, the idea of The Fool is, is an interesting character because they were there and I think they were witty enough to be able to say Something that would um, illuminate, hopefully, the king and put him back on the right course as he was going off. But if he was a complete insane king, he would have just killed the fool and got another fool who wasn't a fool. You know, um, if you watch Game of Thrones, I think they have someone turning up as a fool. And he's basically someone who's just about to die um, uh, any moment now. And uh, so... Yeah, I, I think comedians could do what they want. But see, I, I do face a real Python-esque humour where we're not using current events because they date so quickly. Whereas in history, you know, I Caesar salad. I went I went all talking about Caesar and did he ever think he'd end up as a salad? And that's got very little to do with this. But Caesar was, and it, probably as bad as Hitler, but it's come out better because we think... Well, Napoleon's better as well. We think Napoleon killed a lot of people, but it didn't hate, didn't do pure illogical hatred and Hitler did that
0: that does sort of bring us to one of the last issues I did want to talk to you about you straddle so many things you straddle continents you straddle languages you straddle entertainment politics social issues particularly LGBT rights which you have been quite outspoken about in all your involvement in all these political debates bringing the historical references like you have today are you depressed or hopeful?
1: I'm always hopeful. I mean, I'm a transgender guy came out, who realized what I was for. I came out 33 years ago now. I'm doing good film work, whereas my initial work was not so good. I'm now performing. I've done these 45 countries, four languages. Just come back from Germany. My show, alles auf Deutsch, in Berlin. Das ist sehr gut, and gute Sache. machen. And um, I, I could do Whenever I jump into German, I realize no one's understanding a word I'm saying. But French and German, I'm, I can now improvise in them and so i'm making it my job to do as much positive stuff i can so that the younger generations growing up who are looking at Brex hate and trump hate and saying this hatred this is you know this why do we have this isn't there a, a, there's got to be a better way which is a uh, Robert Reff's campaign in uh, the candidate. And uh, there has got to be a better way than Brexit than and Trump hate. And I think it's up to all of us to put it forward. Do whatever you can in your own way now, because the times will come round again. And then we can, we can take humanity forward.
0: Yeah, but when we were talking earlier, you made an extremely wise comment to me that the difference between love and hate also has to do with numbers that you, you need to people it? to love but you can hate alone. Yeah, it seems you can drink alone and you can hate alone and hatred is more powerful in politics
1: than love. It seems love is much slower burn. You need more people to to get it. And if you and there are some people who Get well a lot of people get fired up by hatred it, it is a powerful emotion and that's what was used in I remember the point in the referendum when people said they've run, they have got no uh, economic arguments left all they've got is uh, immigration and hatred and that's what they used and that's spun it up and that's what Trump used hate all the Muslim people build a wall run and hide um, smash things up I have no plans Yeah. Um, and people getting wrapped up in their own sense of self the trouble with politics is real politics is as complicated as it looks. It looks complicated and it is complicated. And and there is a beguiling nature of the extreme right wing. It's simplistic politics. It just says do one thing, do two things, and everything will be fine. And it never, ever works. And that's in history, but no one... A lot of people don't want to look back in history and see... But it never, ever worked.
0: Yeah. Eddie, we start to bring this to a conclusion, there's something I do on the show that you may not be aware of, and I will give you the ability to do the same. I do a little takeoff on the show Survivor, where at the end of the show, I vote someone off the island. Right. But the way I use it is I just name someone who I can promise you I'll never have as a guest on this show. I'm going to vote off my island. I may not be able to vote them off the world island. I can vote them off my island. And given your concluding comments talking about the difference between love and hate, there's simply no choice that I have to give the award to Ann Coulter. Uh-huh. And of all the outrageous things she said as a native New Yorker someone who was born and raised in New York City as you know there were several widows four widows in particular from the 911 whose their husbands had been killed in the collapse of the World Trade Center uh-huh. and they were very instrumental in getting the 911 commission started and to get them on their work. And it truly was a bipartisan effort. And they did come up with some good ideas. Many, not all, many of which have been implemented. And she said of those women that she'd never seen anyone revel in their status as a celebrity. as they. And then the one that just makes me sad is she'd never seen people enjoy their husband's death so much. What do you say? I can't say anything except please don't come on my show.
1: Yeah, I mean... There are people who have disgusting thoughts and, and they and they say them out loud and, and uh, she is one of them. It's outrageous. But then you know, unfortunately, you go back to the 30s. Everything Hitler said was outrageous, and a lot of us thought that. And it got but it got really really tricky, and we went right up to the wire and the mm-hmm. world 50 million dead to try and overturn that one. We have no way of seeing where things are going to go, but the unfettered right wing is always problematic. It's always simplistic and Ann Coulter is obviously someone who's totally wrapped up in her own media position. So yeah. uh, everything she's saying about them is really she's saying about herself. Yeah. and um, That's the interesting thing. The, the self-hatred that the right wing have of itself and then it sort of turns it around on other people. So I don't know. The the world, I, I worry about humans. I've said this line before. Um, I think this is our last century on Earth. This is... Uh, oh, no. Yeah, yeah. I so I should sell stock now. No, it's not really that way. It's the, the stakes. The moderate people of the world have got to know this. There's 95% of the world that really live and let live. Leben and Leben lassen people. That's the German there. And this is the century. 21st century, we're going to work it out. It's either it's going to be the first century for the rest of time where everyone has a fair chance, all 7 billion of us, yeah or we're going to wipe ourselves off because... We've got stuff out there, dynamite invented in 1860, hydrogen bomb in 1950, that's 90 years apart. It's 70 years on from the hydrogen bomb. What the hell is that? We have no idea what's out there. And you spin this in the wrong way with artificial intelligence parity of 2050, with uh, mechanization, automization coming in like a train, going through a thing that we went through, industrialization, uh, where people are going to losing their jobs because of automization. It's going to get tougher. And if we don't work hard to make it work for everyone... I just don't think we're going to make it as, as a species we've had 5,000 years of civilization only that after 13.5 billion years after the big bang that's just 5 million years now a number of people believe in a god but that's, that's a very very short time for a god to say after all that weird mess and there's things in the sea and whatever going on we're going to only have 5,000 years that's such a tiny amount yeah. of time so I think it's up to us I don't think anyone's going to come and help us I think it's up to the goodwill of humanity and so moderate people need to get active they need to get signed up and they need to fight for
0: this because this is the century where we make it work when I first came up with the idea of politics as unusual you were the first name that I thought of to join me as a guest and you have not just met you've exceeded all my expectations thank you so much thank you very much hey thanks for listening to politics as unusual and a big thank you to my very special guest today Eddie Izzard Now, if you want to hear more great interviews like this one, be sure to subscribe and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your downloads. And I just want to thank my sponsor, FedEx, codename Affordable Fair. I hope you'll support them the way they've been supporting me. And I'll catch you next week when I sit down with my friend, Barry Blaustein, who you know is one of the big comedy writers from SNL and all the Eddie Murphy hit comedies. What happened with Vince is, and when I think happens in politics too, you project a certain character, and it happens with a lot of wrestlers, that eventually you become that character. You Mm -hmm. pretend to be something long enough. You know, Kirk Vonnegut wrote, we are what we pretend to be, so we should be careful what we pretend to be. That's politics as unusual. I'm Dick Clark, the host of Future State, a new podcast about our future. In this period before the elections, we'll be talking to the real experts about some of the issues voters should be thinking about. We'll talk with Bill Clinton. Politics is what's messing us up. We could actually lose our democracy by people who think it's more important for their crowd to run things. Madeline Albright. Trump has, in fact, built off of something that was going on here and has made it worse. Susan Rice. It's not a new thing that Russia is interested in meddling in our democracy. They want to weaken the United States. We'll also talk to subject matter experts on issues like the future of work cyber war, and nuclear weapons. There are still people in strategic command at Omaha and at counterparts in Russia and China and elsewhere who continue to play war games. That's all on Future State. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows.